This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another week of O Ship. My name is Freddie Laker. I'm the host of the show that features entrepreneurs, leaders, and other executives who have had really fascinating stories, whether that's coming up through the ranks with new businesses they founded to years in the corporate world, or even just adventures around the world, whether it's summoning mountains or being in bands, anything out there, people have got kind kind of wild stories. We like to have them here on their ship. And this week, we have a great new guest called John Holm. John is the co-founder of Calendar.com. He's the co-founder of Influence.co. In his own words, been starting companies since he was even in, in high school. Uh, he's also had to be a very prolific writer. He writes for Forbes and Inks.com weekly, and he contributes to publications like the Harvard Business Review, Lifehack, and Mashable, amongst others, all of which I happen to read on a side note. And he's also the author of a book called Top of Mind, which was actually rated one of the best business books of the year when it was released. So he's done a lot. He's been a lot, he continues to do a lot today, and he's done a lot through his career over the years, and he started at a very young age. And so one of the things that he and I thought would be really fun to chat about uh, with the uh, audience for a ship is what it means to be a young leader. You know, whether that's, you know, starting off at a young age or, you know, the challenges that you may see coming up through the ranks, but, you know, how you can build success uh, and any maybe of the lessons that he's learned along the way. And with that, welcome to another week of O-Ship. John, welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, you know, you're actually one of the few guests I've had on that I haven't gone a long-standing journey with. I'm very thankful that another ship show guest was uh, willing to introduce us. So I'm actually getting to know you along with our audience today, which I think is actually great, great fun. I've mentioned earlier that I hope I was a suitable hype man for you because you've had some really, really great successes in your career so far. But it'd be really helpful, I think, if you told our audience a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so uh, I, t- I started pretty early. Um, like I told you before we, we got started, I started in third grade, actually with a lunch brokerage. I was, uh, I guess, uh, fell upon an opportunity to talk my friends into getting their parents to put Twinkies or Ho-Hos over Gushers or whatever. Actually, Gushers were pretty prime back there. So I'd, uh, I I got a lunch brokerage where I would talk kids into packing certain things because I knew that you could sell them to other grades for a higher value. So that's when I started. And then I know, um, just, that in itself sounds really fancy when you've got something in your kid and you call it's not that you weren't just selling lunch stuff. It was like, no, it was a lunch brokerage, so, you know, yes. very, very serious sounding <laughs> operation you had at, at 13 or whatever it was. It was, a, yeah, it was third grade. I was like, I look at my daughter who's eight right now and I'm like, and she's in third grade and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like. I can't imagine her doing that right now, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that I already had, I always had that spirit. Uh, my mom was very big on like uh, breaking down barriers. So I was always like going door to door selling things. And so at an early age, I just uh, created this 
natural, you know, just proactive and uh, perseverance in me. And so I think it started pretty young. And then when I was my first real business was when I was 19. And it actually came a little more from tragedy where um, I had a friend, he was murdered at a party uh, we were at, he tried to break a fight. And I tried to get out of that kind of depression and ended up saving money and uh, working um, to raise uh, kind of money so I could buy a house. Uh, with another friend. So we ended up um, buying a house, flipping it. Uh, I took that money. I think I, uh, I, I, we went to like 30 banks before, 30 something banks before the 34th bank uh, in Farmington, Missouri, lent us money. And then we I flipped that, uh, bought two more myself, flipped those, um, bought two more, and then ended up having a student housing company uh, when I was 19 and throughout college. So as I met new friends in college, I would end up renting to them. Pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you still you still, you still uh, maintain a bunch of properties now out of interest? I still own the first four as kind of a meaningful remembering of uh, you know starting out as an entrepreneur. I should have probably sold them, but for me the nostalgia of saying, "Hey, this is uh, you know where I started," and you know the reminders of going in and cleaning toilets and doing things. It's like you're never above things as an entrepreneur, <laughs> and I like that reminder. You're here. And then I, I was fortunate to meet uh, Kelsey Meyer and Brent Bishore. Uh, while I was kind of doing this, we ended up starting, uh, and it was at an entrepreneurial event, we ended up starting Influence and Co. together. Uh, and that uh, company ended up growing to over 100 people, largest creator and distributor of expert content media. Uh, in 2018, I ended up uh, selling that and so ended up getting acquired. And then I ended up uh, partnering with a guy named John Rampton, who owns Do.com and was an entrepreneur himself. And we've kind of combined forces to uh, have a holding company that our kind of bread and butter and what our strength is. And this, as an entrepreneur, I think it's really important to understand what you're best at. And what we ended up being best at together was helping people own their industry through the combination of thought leadership content, PR and influencer marketing, and then SEO. So you're basically sourcing content, getting it talked about, and then getting it to show up for search. So then we started a company that does that. Um, that has service clients, but then we also have an investment arm where we invest in companies like Gab Wireless, Appointment.com, Calendar.com, so that we use our super strength as an entrepreneur to basically service clients and then at the same time have an investment arm. And that's kind of the journey. Is, is, it, is it like, uh, by the way, so much to unpack there. I'm, we're gonna, thank God we got a whole show to talk about this. Uh, but is it the, the investing you do, is it, is it like a full-blown, like, you know, like small angel fund or is it just like, a, is it more like you're thinking about like the private investing, what you and your partners do? Well, it just depends. Sometimes we're putting cash in. Like ultimately what we look for is what is our unique strength with, you know, helping people own their industry. So organic growth on, you know, digital traffic and building credibility online. So we look at those companies and we're like, okay, what, what, where can we really make a difference? If M&Ms came to us and was like, hey, by the way, we want you to invest in M&Ms, I'd be like, no, like because mm-hmm. our super strength doesn't help M&Ms, even yeah. though I love, I love M&Ms, they're delicious. But at the same time- <laughs> um, eat them. I just don't know if I'm investing them. Yeah, I mean, I'm a great customer, but from the standpoint of what we're uniquely equipped to do, it's it's ultimately kind of what I described there. And so then we look at that and we say, great. So sometimes they need an addition and sometimes they don't need capital and they just need the, the service. So then we'll do a combination of you know equity or debt and service fees. Sometimes we'll do just service fees. Uh, other times we'll do cash because they you know need the cash in addition to uh, having a service fee pay back over t- you know time so we do recoup that money so it really depends on the deal structures things change and it really just depends on what I try to take a step back and say what are the biggest needs of this company 
right now and how can you fulfill those? And so sometimes it is where we're um, like, we just wrote a, a check recently for a hundred thousand dollars to invest in somebody, but we're also getting a service fee back of, you know, $10,000, $15,000 a month. So we will recoup our investment, but the company's getting the service of relevance yeah. over the, you know, the next you know six, seven months uh, for that investment. So it really just depends on the, the situation and what we just try to do is match up the yeah. right fit for what the company needs. And sometimes they don't want the uh, equity or debt deal. And then it's just like, Hey, here's a service fee we're happy with. And, and, you know, we start with that. Out of interest, Influ- influencer code, did that, was that, did that own the domain name influence.com out of interest? I noticed you've got some great domain names. So I'm intrigued. <laughs> No, no, as crazy as it, as it was, we were on kind of a path already with the current domain or with the domain we had. And we did look at influence.com uh, and influence.co, uh, ended up passing on them at the time. Over time, we maybe would have acquired them. It's hard to tell, but I, I'm a big believer of, you know, if you want to own an industry, get a solid domain. And that's why you see us having things like relevance, calendar, appointment, you know, it's, yeah. and it's the legit domains. So, yeah, I was going to ask you if, if for any of the other entrepreneurs out there or marketers, just how 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 important do you think these these big you know sing, singular noun kind of domain names or adjective kind of domain names are? I mean, do you think what do you think is the best part that they're so memorable? Well, no, it's just it's a digital strategy where you're going to rank better on organic traffic if you have a solid domain. Uh, people uh, naturally go to higher domains; it's more credible. It helps when you're doing a content strategy. So, like when we're putting together a content strategy, you know, a domain, you know, a lot of times is a part of that. And so, you know, calendar.com is like, if you look right now, we rank number four for the term when you just type in calendar. So like, there's like 4 million searches a month of that. And if we didn't have the actual domain, that would have been a little bit harder. Um, So I think that, you know, ultimately, if you're an entrepreneur or a leader that wants to own an industry, you have to look at the different things that encompass that. Now, granted, if a domain is just so expensive and doesn't make sense, you just got to weigh that where there's some companies we invest in where we say, hey, this domain is fine. Don't worry about that. We're not going to spend $2 million on, you know, whatever, I don't know, dirtmotorcycles.com. I don't know. I just threw that out there, but we're not going to spend that much, you know, on that. So I think that you have to look at it very seriously. And if it's obtainable and you can, you know, do it, then definitely do it. It will pay off in the long run and you'll like owning that domain. Um, But yeah, you have to look at it with every situation. And a lot of times we, we win and we get the one we want. I normally would uh, not. I wouldn't put, not, normally like to put you on the spot, but I have to I have to ask. You can say I can't disclose that. Obviously, can you tell me what the most you've ever paid for a domain is? Because these are serious, serious domains. You guys have got some some out there. Uh, you know, I think people don't understand how valuable some of these things can be. Uh, maybe it doesn't. Maybe you don't disclose the name on one, but I'd be interested to see if you could share, like, you know, how how big some of these domains might be. Well, we actually, I mean, like my business partner is a savant at finding uh, deals and like, and so he, he's very good. Like, I'm not joking. Something will be worth like 30 million and he'll offer like a hundred thousand. Uh, it's like funny how confidently he goes into negotiating. Okay. Um, so the, so the, it doesn't matter how much you pay for them. It's how much they're worth. And you've got, you got some, you got some real gems out there. I'd love to see that full list one day. But the to answer your question straight out, the most we've ever paid is 2 million, like from a value. That's, that's, real, that's serious money. Yeah. That's great. Very exciting. So let's go back in time a little bit, because I think it's very easy to get called up on on some of the things you're doing now. Again, uh, I do want to hear more about, um, you know, some of the more recent businesses, but I want to go back in time a little bit, you know, moving past the the, the lunch, uh, the lunch brokerage and 
Uh, and even and even some of the real estate stuff um, that you were doing, that's kind of made me focus more on like the software and professional services and technology stuff that you've been doing. If you're a young guy, uh, you were obviously even younger back then. What was it like to be, a, you know, you were, were you always the CEO? I mean, was it, would, did you have different roles within business? I'd love to know what it, you felt like it was like to be, a, you know, kind of a young, a young leader out there in terms of, did you feel people took you seriously? And how did that impact how you managed other people or interacted with other people? I just, I'd just like to understand a little bit what that experience was like uh, for you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and uh, and really, the, the short answer is no, we weren't. I wasn't taken seriously. Um, I remember going into a meeting with a large brand when I was like 24, 25. And I remember, I'm not joking, they called, they were like, look at this little young whippersnapper. That's what I was called. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> they called you a whippersnapper? Damn. But, I, like, but it, even they made comments on the side. They're like, uh, and you could tell that there was a, there was, and there's all, there's trust barriers all the time. Right now we have more trust barriers than we ever have. You look at even just like the way government is trusted. It was like in the sixties or seventies, it was like seventy percent. Now it's down to like fifteen percent. I think that's yeah. involved with media with a lot of different things. And so I think trust has become a bigger issue. But even when I was young, so I'm thirty-seven right now, and so back when we were getting started, I mean, it was a huge barrier. Like uh, my co- my co-founder was a woman. There was obviously trust barriers with her being a young woman uh, at the time. There's uh, was trust barriers with me being young. There's all these things that have barriers. It can be race, gender. It can be just perception of how someone's dressed. And so for me, there's massive uh, barriers that you deal with as a young entrepreneur. But if you're able to overcome them by building enough, investing in your own brand and doing things, then it becomes this big strength. And so once, and that's why we started Influence Co. at the time, is that we had these barriers. And I mean, the initial idea was Brent, our third partner, and he basically was like, man, this sucks. Like, I'm going into doing large deals, and um, there's this this barrier in, in being a young leader. And But as we use, and, and really like with relevance, what we do is like, we love that kind of opportunity because then once you, like, especially there's a young client right now that's in his early 20s. Once you get them the right press placements, the right things going on with them, then everybody looks at it as a huge, impressive thing where it's like, wow, look at what this person has done at a young age. And it helps you create deals because you almost are over this hump where not many people get at a young age. And they're like, wow, that's somebody who is a rising star. You want to deal with them. And so my advice there would be highly invest in your brand. If I could go back, there's two things I would do better. Well, three things. I would get get rid of my ego at a young age and I would really be like, always try and be better no matter what and don't think you know it all. Uh, two, just really focus on surrounding yourself with amazing team members because your team is you know really what drives leadership in my opinion is that if you have a great team it, it enhances how you can be as a leader so you know so focus on that and then the last thing was probably a more important one the most important is investing in your brand um, significantly because whether you have a pandemic whether you have a, you know anything going on if you invest in yourself your brand and you have credible there's going to be opportunities i don't care if it's being employed by somebody if something hits the fan i don't care if it's a partnership as an entrepreneur the investment in your own brand is so massive and that's why i was so attracted to that that's why we built a company around it and that's why i'm still involved in companies that invest in thought leadership within companies yeah one of the things i i love when talking about investing in a brand is maybe making this a little bit more quantifiable for people. And so one of the ideas that I always like to communicate is this idea, if you think about every interaction you have with uh, you know, people and whether that is a potential customer, maybe it's even someone you're trying to hire. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of apply some kind of math logic to this, but 
you know, think about conversion rate, uh, effectively, whether you are doing a new business deal, how many of those people, the introduction you make, can you convert into customers? How many people, if you're trying to hire, can you convince to trust? Because this really comes down to trust. I mean, I think you nailed it. That's, and if you have these kind of disadvantages, which can be a whole number of different things based on preconceptions that people have in society, but one of them is certainly around age, frankly, whether being too old or too young, unfortunately, you know, investing in your brand chips away at those, at those barriers. And, you know, if you, and so when people go, well, I don't, you know, I, let's say they're talking about a company, um, you know, uh, like uh, your, your, your current business, you know, and, and obviously you're not doing that for free, but when people go out there and they say, well, why should I invest $5,000, $10,000, whatever a month in, in something like this to establish credibility is because what is the cost, the opportunity cost that's lost if you're going into all these different meetings um, and all these different interactions with people, you know, you only get one shot at these things. And if you're losing them because the trust isn't there, then the investment in the brand is 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 so, so imperative. You know, there's a, there was a lot to unpack in what you talked about earlier Uh one of the ones I thought was uh, was interesting was about basically, you know, there's one side of this of how you interact with other people. So you're talking about out, out external people that you had to interact with as a young leader. But there's another side of this, I think, is about dealing with internal people. So what did your what did your team look like? So when you were your young, young CEO, help me visualize this. Was most of the team the same age or younger? Or did you have uh, people that worked for you that were older than you? And like, and if so... Do you think there's any guidance to kind of being a leader where you've got staff and team members that may be older or significantly older than you and, and you know, maybe how that impacts uh, your management style at all? Yeah, I mean, honestly, my first, when my first like, uh, like larger company, I mean, it was, it was all women. I mean, our first uh, five employees around me were women. So I was a sole guy uh, initially. Um, so that was kind of the breakdown. Uh, age, some were young, some were, I kind of, there was maybe one or two that's close to 30. But ultimately, it, for me, I'm like, I'm a very big fan of just be hyper focused on getting the right people there, like hyper focused on like what's important. So for me, the willingness to learn, if you have the willingness to learn, you can always teach someone a certain level of intelligence where, you know, there's common sense and can catch with that. Um, they want to be a good teammate, you know, so those are the things. And so if you look at all those people, I really didn't care what age they were. I didn't care, you know, gender or anything. And they, and I think those people really encompass that. And I think that's what sets a company up for success a lot of times. And with relevance, uh, one of my, actually my pro, my president over there at that company said something to me that was a huge compliment. They said, one of John's strengths is his ability to bring the right people together. And he's almost a collector of talent and people. And I almost look at it like a chessboard. Like, I don't know if you play chess, but for me, I love love a good game of chess. Yeah. So for me, it's hard to win when you don't have any bishops or rooks and you're like, you know, and you don't have the right pieces on the board, you know, uh, you you need kind of like, you know, I'm trying to say this night, you know, or this, uh, you know, this rook to, so I can, you know, protect the king or this. And I think it's the same thing with a business is that you need these people with different, like, like as funny as it is, like uh, people talk about politics and how it destroys relationships. I mean, I have, if you look at my breakdown, I have extreme difference. Like I have a huge conservative leader. I have a huge liberal leader. I have one that's very religious, one that's very not religious. And I think that for me, I like bringing together people in a way that have different views, different skill sets, 
and then creating an environment where they can thrive, feel respected and open. And so that was very important to me with any company I start is that if I hire all people like me, we're going to fail. Um, I have certain strengths, like I almost look at it as like uh, Mario. Uh, I don't know if you ever play Mario games, but I'm kind of like Bowser, where Bowser is always the power one. That's like a free, like he like breaks through barriers. And so that's yeah. me. If we have 10 Bowsers, we're going to fail because it's just a bunch yeah, of demolishing yeah. things. But that's why I need a Luigi. That's why I need Peach. Yeah. That's why I need all these characters uh, to to create a team that ultimately can thrive the most. And, and I look for those characters. And, and so for me, it's hyper focused on the chessboard and who we need the most, what skill sets, what we're deficient at, what's our weakest link, and how do I fill that gap with the right talent? I want it on record. I'm uh, Yoshi. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Yoshi is my favorite character too. How do I leave him? You man, I never grow old, little Yoshi. So uh, yeah, big, big. You're walking into a, a, a very friendly gamer environment here. So, interesting question for you. So you you like bringing these diverse teams together. You see that as a source of your strength. How do you deal with situations then where maybe you know people that you bring into the group? They, they don't look at the world, maybe. They, they, it's good that they don't look at the world that you do, but they don't understand how to communicate with others with that same open-mindedness. So it's like you, you've got these diverse skill sets or diverse personalities, but how do you make sure that basically they, you're good at playing nice with everyone, I guess is my nice way of saying it. How can you make sure that everyone is, is, is good at playing nice with each other? Does that make sense? Yeah, you got to lead by example. And like, for example, admitting when I'm wrong, um, a lot of leaders don't want to do that. Um, I didn't want to do that as a young leader. I thought that it showed weakness to admit when you're wrong. Uh, also, idea bias. Um, you know, when it was my idea as a young leader, I was like, well, this is the best. Ultimately, like when, when I'm putting together, like the bottom line is like when I'm putting together a team that I want to get along, I have to A, lead by example. So that's a key thing is that admitting. And what it does, does that mean? Admitting when I'm wrong being thoughtful about uh, to others. So like if they're like one of my uh, interns uh, the other day was just struggling because she's she's having a lot of stuff thrown at her. You know, I walked in there and I said, hey, you know, here's a hundred dollar gift card. Uh, I want you to go out and just tomorrow spend the morning or spend the afternoon with friends, enjoying disconnect from work. And I want you to come back recharge. If you're not recharged, let me know. But three people saw that. And I think that that's like a lead by example, you know, thoughtfulness. Uh, lead, uh, being self-aware when you make a mistake is saying, hey, instead of saying my bad, this is one of my employees has said it to me in the past is like, when you say my bad, it doesn't really it's come off as an apology. It's like, a, you know, something you just brush over. So saying like, I'm actually, hey, I'm sorry. That was my mis- that was my mistake. I should have been better. This is what I can be better at. Um, those are things that are important to lead and to show. And as funny as it is, once you kind of, you know, in, you know, you, you create that environment, people are okay with it and they're not as opinionated. They're not as defensive. They're not as, um, like, I think people inherently want to be good, but then a lot of times there's an environment where you, they're just not. And honestly, if they're not good, then get rid of them. They shouldn't be a part of your team. I agree. This, I think this goes back to something we were talking about earlier. At the end of the day, this still comes back to being a trust thing. And right. and what I mean by that is, you know, if you if when you apologize sincerely and acknowledge, you know, failures or mistakes, and it and it's not brushed off, it, you know, even though you may have made a mistake, I actually think it establishes more tr- a higher level of trust with people because people can see that you're sincere and 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 where they might, you know, go, hey, look, the mistakes have been made. They're going to trust you more inherently as as a leader and as a, as another human being. And, you know, what is the power of that? 
a lot of times when I think about uh, you know, even retention and how you try and keep people within your team, a huge chunk of why people move on from one company to another, in my opinion, is that they, they stop trusting that their leader has their best interests at heart. Or they don't, you know, they don't trust that, you know, that they're going to continue to be invested in or that they're a valued member of the team. And so you just cannot under, uh, underwrite the value of, of trust um, at all levels, you know, of, of your brand. And that brand that you talked about a second ago, it's not just the outward facing brand that you can kind of create through thought leadership and things like that, but it's, it's the accumulation of all those interactions that you have with your team in your day to day interactions with them. So. Yeah. And, and another the key thing I forgot is it just encourage like I have kind of a rule is that if you're going to come to me and complain about someone, my first thing is, did you talk to them first? Did you pull them aside directly try and talk? Because gossip and going above people's head is a, a major way to destroy trust uh, within a, in an organization. So the, my, that's my first question. Now, granted, if somebody's like, hey, by the way, now this hasn't happened here, but if somebody was like, hey, there's sexual harassment. Yes. That is something I seriously want you to come to me and I can I, and I and we'll deal with that very directly. But if it's a challenge of a, of a difference of opinions and like or strategy or, you know, a process, my first question is always, did you go to that person and, and talk with them? Now, if they say yes and they and they were super defensive, this that's something that, yeah, we can deal with. My thing here is that when someone gives you feedback, whatever you listen you you understand you try and see take their opinion into consideration if you don't agree with them then you give them hey this is why here's my you know here's my data here's my support behind this or through experience or you know that but that's my first thing is that somebody comes to me to complain i say did you talk to this person directly and um if they say no i say do you mind or do you feel comfortable with with having that conversation and a lot of times they say well yeah and i said okay could you do that and then if there's any problems let me in so I'm going to change gears a little bit. So again, we've discussed the fact that you've had numerous ventures throughout your career. What is the hardest, what was the most challenging business to grow and build and why? Uh, they all have different challenges. Like I don't like the service company had challenges where, you know, you were, uh, you know, heavy human capital where you've got a lot of people. We expanded different offices that had its own challenges. I think that with like a calendar, the technology, you know, uh, going from service business to a tech company, it's a different set of challenges where when you're someone like I'm not a coder, I'm not a developer. So when you're trying to get things done and features done, you know, it's very hard to tell people what to do when you don't speak their language sometimes. And so you have to respect that. And so that was challenging uh, for me, you know, understanding conversions on a tech company as compared to a service company was uh, difficult for me. So um, now calendar, we're starting to see conversions happening a lot more and products on the right path where people are enjoying the product, but getting there, it, it was a struggle in the past to get there. But you know, now that we're there, it's like, I feel better, but at the time it was hard. How many years have you been building that product now? Uh, that's been about three years. So it was, it was right after I left ICO and it had, and Rampton actually founded that one, my business partner uh, a little before I kind of got involved. And so, yeah, I mean, it just, it takes time and you have to be patient and you have to keep trying and be and, and try and persevere through those barriers. And I think that like, there's good books out there that um, make you embrace failure a little more like uh, Shoe Dog uh, by Phil Knight and um, a lot of those common ones that show you like Nike, if you read that book, almost went under so many times. I mean, he almost went to jail. You, you know, read that. And I'm not saying you should do things to almost go to jail. But for me, it's it's starting to have confidence in yourself. And what I tell people is like, 
is do your best, educate yourself mo the most you can, you know, work hard to, to accomplish these things. If you fail, that's okay. Uh, it's funny is that like uh, some of the best entrepreneurs fail four or five times before they have the big win. So I would just say is that if you keep those things in place, um, where you have that mental strength, you're going to be successful at some time. Even if you fail, 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 fail as an entrepreneur and you join someone else like a me as a, what I call an entrepreneur, you can still be extremely successful as an entrepreneur. But once again, you still have to have that mindset where you're like, hey, like I'm going to do my best. I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to talk to people and, and learn how to handle situations the best I can and uh, ultimately create a network that you can, you know, over time, like my network's massive now, but as a, a leader, when I was 20, it, it wasn't big. But nowadays, if I need something, a lot of times I have the resources because I've spent 17, you know, plus years working on engaging people uh, that, you know, I try to help out as much as possible so that when I do need help, I, you know, I have it. Out of interest, pop quiz, who would you trust more? Someone, uh, I, I, you know, entrepreneur kind of five years into their career that's, uh, Ne never failed before uh, or uh, an entrepreneur who's maybe failed, failed a couple of times and had some success as well. Just a situational. I have to know both people. Uh, the, the off the cuff answer is just the, the person has failed several times and seen some success. If they've never seen success, uh, I would a little, I would be a little, a little concerned. Nervous. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I would be concerned because a lot of times there's a reason for if you've never seen success, and I'd want to dive into that. A lot of times they they just don't have the right resources or support. Other times they're just an asshole, and they just don't have people to support. So that would concern me. So for me, it's like it's it's a situational analysis. I have a friend in the military that always uh, says, "What's the essay?" So um, what's your situational analysis in, the, in this case? So when, with questions like that, I would say that that's my off the cuff answer. However, it really depends on the people behind those two things and understanding that failure could have been a really good reason. If you can figure that out and support that in a way, then yeah, I think that, that there's trust there uh, with the one that, and I've also seen, uh, you know, an entrepreneur that has success just because of pure luck. Uh, honestly, it's like, it's pure luck, timing, right time, right. You know, and so you got to dive into that a little more um, and get the right. I always say, you know, get as much data and information as you can on the situational analysis part of it. And you can make a decision on which one you should trust more. Yeah, yeah it's a, tr a tricky one there. You know, I've, I've said to people in the past, I've, I think I've had my fair share of luck in my in my career. I've also had my fair share of uh, lack of luck or being at the wrong, wrong time, wrong place or being being too early. Uh, but I've also had people respond to me that, you know, kind of luck is what you make of it. And there's no such thing as, as, as luck. What's your take on that? Oh, I absolutely do think there's luck. That's a big part of it. But I think you can create your own luck uh, as well. I think the more that you, so what I, what I say about a company's success is there's all these factors that increase your luck. So it increases your chance of success. Uh, having the right team and the right people, major part of it. Having a, I almost like, a, I did a Venn diagram the other day in kind of a stream of consciousness thing where I put one circle was the, a competitive advantage. So like a unique advantage, like with relevance, we have a competitive advantage because we have a ton of media connections to place articles and ways to do that. So clear competitive advantage. Also, another one is uh, is the opportunity in the industry where are there the people with the budgets to pay for it? Can you sell it to this? Like, can you get a sales process going? Because a lot of times if you can get the sales process going, you can fill in operations behind it. So there's that. 
then there's the passion behind actually, you know, if you enjoy it and you like it and you're passionate about the business, if you can find that middle of the Venn diagram that encompasses all, each one of those, you increase your chance of you know success. And then other things that can contribute to that are your team and your network. And there's other kind of circles that overlap as well. And so what I try and tell people is that try and find as many of those circles overlapping in that middle as possible. And if you can find, you know, that middle there and create it, then you're going to increase your chance of success significantly, where instead of me saying it's a 95% failure rate, your failure rate probably goes to 40 or 50% yeah. as you get those things in place. Through this, you've mentioned uh, your partners multiple times, maybe not even specific to you, but, uh, you know, assume having a partner is something you're not to put words in your mouth, but I assume f- you feel like having a partner is an important part to success. It seems like building great teams is something you're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, also the the journey going through it with someone is um, more meaningful than when you're you know doing it on your own a lot of times. And so um, for me, I like the journey and the experiences and the joking around of sharing experiences. Like last night, uh, actually, I was in. We have a, a villa across the street that our company or that our, our family owns. And one of my friends was in town, uh, who was our sixth employee at uh, one of my at uh, my last company. And we were joking around about old stories and my new, and my new business partner from Salt Lake or Rampton happened to be in town. And we're joking around about some of the things that happened in year two, year three, and just that meaningful, you know, uh, banter. And like, you know, that's very meaningful to me because, you know, if I was sitting there by myself, one, it'd be weird if I was talking to myself, but two, you just, it's, it's something that is very, it's an important part of life to share experiences with people. So I think that that's a key thing. Uh, also, it's just, you have a, it increases your competitive advantage. I mean, Rampton, my business partner now is, a, is one of the smartest people I know. And he's also one of the more resourceful people I know as well. And he also cares about people. Now he's not perfect and I'm not perfect. And we have our challenges that we have to work through like any marriage. It, and that's what I would say is a partnership uh, in business. A good one is very, very similar to a marriage. And um, it's consistently working, open feedback, open communication. But for me, it's it's very clear that uh, enjoying the journey along the way with the partners that I've had. Kelsey was my one before, and she's a very kind, thoughtful person. We have our difference of opinions and strategies and things like that, but still very good person. And that those moments with her were very you know uh, meaningful to me. And then you know with with Rampton, it's fun to experience things and to have the fun kind of experiences where we can share the failures, the successes. And for me, that's important. And then also just having the resources and the, another person bounce ideas. I would say that a lot of times I have an idea that's maybe 80, 70% formed. And then you need someone to be honest with you on like, either this is a crap idea or, Hey, like here's, you can probably change this change and you can change, you can get that 70% to about 90, just, you know, being open and and getting some really good feedback. I'm intrigued. So uh, first I want to know uh, what, what you think you bring into a partnership. Like everyone's got, I talk about superpowers a lot uh, here on O'Ship. And I'd love to kind of understand what, what you think um, your superpowers are. And then I'd be intrigued as a follow-up to that. I'd love to know what you think are the most important things you look for in a partner, a great partner, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I'm absolutely worthless. I don't know why they deal with me. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that uh, the, I mean, I will think outside the box and I really care about people. And so I think that when you talk about leadership, you want to be a leader that people want to follow and that also care about their people that want to enhance their lives. And so 
I think that when you look at that kind of philosophy, if you read my book, Top of Mind, I'm all about being helpful to people. If you can help people with their motivations, then they're going to help you in the future. Naturally, it just always comes back in some way. Even if it doesn't, I think that motivation and how you do business that way, it's it's a very powerful attribute. And so I think that my biggest strength is I, I consistently help people around me to try and enhance their lives, whether it be a partnership, whether it be an employee. And I think when people kind of want me on their team or want to partner, they're like, wow, okay, when Hall's around, he will figure out a way to look out for people and they will create opportunities where in reality it's creating your own luck. So I would say that that's a, probably a super strength with this natural helpfulness. Like I have these processes, these things to nurture people. If you read the book, Top of Mind, the whole idea is engaging people in different ways with content, with action, with human to human connection. So that you're, you're on their mind at the right time in the right moments. So for me, when I look for a partner, and I, and I have had not the best partners. I just don't want to, you know, talk about that because, uh, you know, that's a bad karma or whatever. But what I would say is that, you know, you want to have someone that has a line in general values and you want somebody that kind of has similar st- strategic, mi- like, uh, you know, efforts and vision. However, you know, it does complement. Like, so I'll give an example. Rampton, we were asked this question in that conversation last night that I was talking about. And he, and he kind of answered it and said, Hey, well, Hall is somebody who like, I trust his, you know, kind of, uh, you know, vision and helpfulness and how he treats people around him. But then he does have strengths that complement mine where, you know, some of my, you know, things where he, he's very good at, um, finding opportunities in different ways. Uh, I've become a little better at operations and setting things up for success, mainly because of my past business partner. I used to be like a Rampton and be very visionary, very like, Oh, let's do this. Let's do this. I got this opportunity. This deal came in and my last business partner was very operational and she was like dude you're out of control like we can't do this we can't do this and i i got to learn what it was like to understand both sides of that um kind of you know and she helped me understand that and so with this partnership it allows me to translate kind of his efforts to the team without frustrating the team because i understand his point of view because i used to be him and then I also understand the, you know, Kelsey point of view, which, you know, a lot of times that's who's translating to the team, the person who's leading operations and, and the, the manager there. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say is like I look for general values that align, but then ways that we can complement each other to ultimately create a superpower together uh, of a very strong operating team. It's funny. I can't help but think that one of the other things that came through very clearly in what you just said was uh, tr- trust, again, became a big theme. You know, it's like, you know, and I can leave speaking for myself and nothing else. That's probably the number one quality I look for people that, I, you know, I've, I've even taken, you know, there may be multiple people I could partner with and maybe there are smarter, more successful people, um, you know, between some of the options, but I'll, I'll typically always take the one I, I trust the most. But maybe it's because I'm a bit, bit of a paranoid guy. So, you know, your book is called uh, Top of Mind. I, you know, I, I think of that as the as the antithesis of you know the kind of classic you know what is it out out of sight out of mind uh, you know kind of thinking, and so you know when you're in a company whether you're you know trying to be uh, you know people aware of you in your industry or you're even rising up through the corporate ranks or you're even trying to build a network you know you never want to be that that person that's out of sight out of mind of everyone else, and so um, you know as we kind of come to the, near the end of O'Ship, I'd love to see if you could just share, uh, you know, one or two of your favorite tips on how people can make sure they're top of mind. 
Yeah, something that's funny is I was like, I was like, yeah, I was going to show you the book, but this is the Korean version, so I don't know how much that helps. Hey, let's, let's, let's take it. I think that's even cooler than the Korean version. Very cool. Uh, I was like, oh, here's the book, and then people try and order the Korean version. It's like, man, read us the chapter. Come on. <laughs> like, it's actually really funny. The only words I know are John Hall. Um, yeah. Uh, but the yeah. <laughs> amazing. If you were busting out the career, I would have been like, "This is the most interesting man I've ever met." <laughs> I should have done that. Like now, I'm gonna prepare for that. And next time, if it ever comes up, I'm gonna just start speaking like the only like 20 words in Korean I know, which I don't know any right now. So I've been for uh, for almost a year, and, and uh, I was learning basic, terrible Chinese. And I came back <laughs> and had this, and I had this big Christmas party at my house in in Florida. And I said it was, and it was a new, sorry, New Year's party. I said I'd like to give a quick speech. I said this is a a parable uh, that I learned in Shanghai, and I basically just started ordering stuff off a Chinese menu because the only thing I knew how to say in Chinese was how to order food and drinks and stuff. And finally, someone's like. I've been to China with you. You just ordered two glasses of water. I'm calling BS on this. <laughs> for, about, for a good solid 10, 15 seconds, I think I had about 50 people completely impressed with my amazing Chinese parable that I was apparently telling. You're more cultured than I, I, I was. I was actually just reading. It's like, I'm trying to think if you can read it, but it does say there's two words. There's John Hall right there, and then there's CEO. So I do know how to read that. And then and this and part. You, and you got top of mind. So boom, you've, you've <laughs> almost covered the whole cover of that Korean book. So, uh, so, so, so what, are, what are your, what are your, uh, what are your big tips, John? Yeah. So, I mean, an example that I would give, and this is a, a long-standing client that I really respect. And so just to disclose that he has been a client for a while, but, uh, but he's a really good friend. His name's Eric Huberman, and he owns a company called Hawk Media. And something that I like, the advice that I love about him is that, he like I remember when he was four people or six people. I mean, he's like two hundred something or three hundred. They're really large, large agency in LA called Hawk Media. That's uh, that's great. But he was so like dedicated and saying we want to own this industry. I'm so dedicated because I'm not trying to build some little you know company that you know goes out of business in a year. I want to own these things and these types of marketing. And what I really respect is like the commitment and the vision and the the vision and the commitment to that vision. And so like, if you just type, like, for example, they position their company as outsourced CMOs. They're like the best at being the outsourced CMO for different people. And you guys are like strategic and leadership. So you get, it's like, if you brand yourself as like, Hey, we want to be a great leader in this, this area. And and their branded term is outsourced CMO type in outsourced CMO. You see that there's ads um, where you'll see, you know, Hawk Media in the, in the top ad. You'll see a Forbes article that was uh, placed that has a, you know, for, uh, you know, feature talking about them. You'll see their site showing up in position five or six on it. So, like that sort of commitment, it didn't just overnight happen. It is the commitment of the vision of saying, like, I'm going to own this and persevere and keep at this with content with and that's where this the the kind of top of mind aspect is that if you commit to that vision of owning an industry you're going to start showing up all over the place whether it's like and content is the is one of the best ways to scale that so if you have a good content strategy people are going to see like there's so many people that are like like you actually mentioned as funny as it is one of our things when you got on you were like man you write a lot on linkedin so I guarantee you, you're going to be reminded of my name and me because you're going to see that I say top of mind on LinkedIn. You're going to search things like the other day.
space, somebody was searching an article about leadership conferences. If you type in leadership conferences, there's an article, oh, sh- Hall wrote that. So like I pop up in all these ways where people are reminded that I exist. And also if we got connected or if I spoke at an event, they're reminded with that content. And so I would say like the, the one tip is that have this commitment to, I want to engage people. Like when I meet them in person, I'm going I'm to end the quest in the conversation with how can I be helpful? How can I look out for your best interest and try and, you know, do that. And a lot of times you will, and a lot of times you won't, but I guarantee you're going to engage them. You're going to have a higher chance of engaging them in person where they're like, Oh, I like that person. They were looking out for me. And then when they see your content, they're reminded of that. Oh yeah. Awesome person. Oh, sweet. Paul, you know, is involved in calendars. So I should, you know, use this scheduling software. Oh, Hall's involved in relevance, which does PR and thought leadership. I should use them. And so you're, you're coming to mind when people have these biggest needs, these moments of vulnerability that happen where someone has this need and they're like, oh man, I want to own my industry. Who do I call? And that's why we get a lot of inbound opportunities. And I'm working a lot less on outbound and hustling and trying to just get people to talk to me these days because I have this natural inbound flow over the years from this top of mind mentality. So, you know, in reality, it's it's that vision of committing to here's how, you know, what we want to be known for. Here's how I'm going to engage people in person through content. And then over time, I'm going to have this compounding effect that brings people to me more. And I have this magnet that attracts people to want to do business with me and it becomes easier and easier. And then you get better opportunities. You start creating your own luck more. Awesome advice. And I have to ask, with all this you know, background you've got, these great insights, did you have some kind of like crazy mentor or something that helped you kind of develop throughout your career? Uh, no, like, I mean, in reality, um, I, I think I've mentioned this before when we were chatting is that I've got to, I've been fortunate to meet some of my idols, like the uh, Mark Cuban was one of his examples uh, where I met him several times and talked to him. I really like him. He's a great great person. Um, and we've done business with a lot of, with his different companies, uh, Tower e-bikes, paddle boards, uh, love the companies that he's involved in. But I also realized at a young age where I didn't want to be him in general. And a lot of times you want to be your mentor. And what I've realized is that I want to surround myself with people that are all my mentors. So like my business partner is a mentor. My wife's a mentor to me. Uh, my kids, I can learn a ton from my kids. There's an example in one of my keynote speeches where I talk about how my white or how my, my eight-year-old daughter teaches me about how different people are and how they communicate because I gave her my Timex watch, which I was super excited because because it blew up indigo and I was so excited for a kid for my kid to play with my Timex watch that I loved when I was an eight year old because it gets indigo and it glows blue. And then she looks at it and goes, call grandma hall, call daddy. This won't call grandma hall. Like what are you serious? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And like in a way that's a mentorship because you just have to be open to learning from all these people around you. And so for me with my daughter, she teaches me as like, man, like she's excited about different things than I was a kid. She's a different person. She's being raised in a different generation and I need to respect that and understand that. And so I think that the whole point of mentorship is learning and becoming better. And so a lot of times people direct it towards one person or one individual. And I think that uh, it's the wrong way to do it. I think that in reality, you look at who's the best for that to learn from. And sometimes situations, um, somebody has dealt with that situation who's like an intern, who is a someone who isn't the, the biggest leader in the world. And so I would say I'm very open to advice from different types of people and sources. And so I would say a lot of the people around me and I surround myself with people that are almost all my mentors, uh, you know, combined, and it helps me make better decisions. I, I love that. Uh, you know, I, I was very lucky to 
um, you know, have a mentor, uh, my father, you know, growing up. But the reality is, I think like you, I also now look to a really diverse group of people to inspire me. And the reality is you can learn something from everybody if you're mm-hmm. open to it. And you also mentioned earlier about kind of just dropping your ego, you know, as you became a kind of a more mature, uh, you know, entrepreneur and leader. I also feel the same way. And I can't stress how important that is because when you think you're the smartest guy in the room, then you're not really open or paying attention to you know, everything else that people are saying around you. So I think this is a really great high note to uh, end the show on. John, it was really, really great having you on the show. Um, and I do also want to note, uh, as of today, we have a new oshipshow.com site out. If you get a chance, check it out. We've made it much, much easier for people to get uh, to all the content for Oship that you love. So you go to Oship. It's very simple. And if you at oshipshow.com, it's easy to quick link to any of our platforms, whether that is uh, the video versions of our show across various social networks or even the new uh, audio versions of our show across various podcasting platforms. You know, if you love our show, the best thing you can do to promote it and, and, and help uh, support it is you know, give us a like, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, or even share it on your social feeds. We appreciate it. This is just something we do for fun. Uh, it's great to connect with all these great leaders who were so appreciative of sharing their experiences uh, with us and me and, and everyone who I know tunes in to OSHIP um, every single week. So, John, thanks again uh, for coming. Uh, it's really, uh, really great to, uh, to meet you on air. And, um, you know, we'll see you next week on OSHIP. The OSHIP Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sales for the O Ship Show.